I'm a brand new parent. My daughter McKinley is eight months old, and I think she's watching upstairs um, with my wife. Um, but it's so good uh, to learn about parenting because I need it. So if you're here today, this message is for me, and you guys get to overhear it. No, I think we can all learn from it because parenting is pretty crazy sometimes. Some pretty crazy. And I learned about some of the craziness in parenting because one time Melissa and I decided to go to IKEA right after it opened. Been down to IKEA? Right, like, it was like, I don't know, opening weekend or first few weeks. And we went down there and it was crazy. This was before we had kids and we just wanted to get a rug, a simple rug, one thing. And yet they make it so easy for you to find that thing, don't they? No, you have to go through all the corridors and all the turns and try to figure out where this rug is. And we're looking everywhere and there's just people everywhere. You can barely make it through the halls and you, you get lost and you try to take a shortcut and you get even more lost. We finally found the rugs. We picked one out and we couldn't hear ourselves think, but we finally found one. And, and then we're trying to get out and there's this, this family with a, a small little boy in front of us. And all of a sudden he goes, Ooh. and then boom, projectile vomit. And what did his mom do? It was the immaculate reception. She caught every bit of this vomit in her hands. Because that's what moms do, right? It was just like reflex. And she caught this vomit. And then she was just standing there in the middle of the path. People are like, you know, the, the seas have now parted trying to get around her. And she's like, can I have some help, please? Just trying to get someone to help her with this vomit she has in her hand. And we were like, forget the rug, we're out of here. We're out of here. One of my friends, Nick, earlier this year, posted this about parenting. He said, parenting is basically a nice way of saying vomit cleanup professional. You know you've hit pro level when you decide you're hungry and fix yourself a PB&J in between puking rounds. Hashtag pro level. Hashtag when you're hungry, you're hungry. You know, if being a parent was only being a vomit cleanup professional, it would be easy. But it's way harder than that, isn't it? Sure, you clean up your share of bodily fluids. I've already experienced that. But it's so much more than that. so much harder than that. And that's why we need some help. That's why we need some wisdom. And we're seeking wisdom in the best place in God's Word, especially in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is God's book to us to say, hey, this is how you live life. Because some things are kind of tricky. It's not like, is this right or is this wrong? It's like, no, I need some wisdom to figure out what's the best thing to do in this situation. That's why we're pursuing wisdom in the Proverbs, getting wise today about parenting. If you're here and you don't have kids, you can kind of sit back and say, huh, and pray for your friends. If you're thinking about one day having kids, take some notes. And wherever you are on the spectrum, some of you have, have very young kids, small children like me. Some of them, the kids have already moved out of the house and have their own kids. Wherever you are, I think you can learn something from the wisdom in the Proverbs. You know, I, I'm definitely not an expert on this. I just have seven, seven months of experience. And I feel like I'm uh, just now realizing I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. John Wilmot, the, the British poet, said, Before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children, no theories. You know, you figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. That's what we're doing today. We're getting some help from the Proverbs. So let's all learn from it. And today I have three points for you because I want you to be a bad parent. B-A-D. Okay, that's what we're going to learn today. B-A-D. I want you to be a bad parent. And I hope that you can remember the, the wisdom from the Proverbs through those three letters. B-A-D. So B. Be a model. Here's our first point. Be a model. Proverbs 27 
says, The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. The way you live your life, the way you model how you're supposed to live, will impact your children for better or for worse. The way you live your life, your actions. Yeah, you're going to teach them things, you're going to say some things, but what you do matters even more than what you say. Actions speak louder than words. A lot of what is taught in parenting is caught, not taught. It's caught. They see you, how you interact with people. They see you when you're at your worst moment. They see how you interact with your spouse. They see how you interact with other people. When you come home from a hard day's work, what you do. So we need to learn to be a model. We need to be a model. Benjamin Franklin said, A good example is the best sermon. A good example, the way we live our lives, is the best thing, better than anything you could ever say. It's the best sermon. I'm going to reference this study a few different times from Christian Smith. He's a professor at Notre Dame. He needed a national study on youth and, and kids. And he was really looking at what faith and religion, how that impacts children. So Christian Smith looked at it and he said that the biggest influencing factor of a child, whether they're going to succeed and do well in life, is the faith of parents. What they believe and how they live out their faith. That is going to have the biggest impact on your kids of anything that you can do or say. It's your faith and how you live it out. I was a pastor for five and a half years in Nebraska before coming here and it was an old historic church and it had been there for 125 years. We celebrated the 125th year anniversary while I was there. And someone said, hey, let's invite some of the, the descendants of the founders of this church. And I thought, oh, that's great. And it turned out one of the families lived in our town, right next door. And I said, well, why don't they come to church anymore? Kind of puzzling, right? But they came and I got to talk with them and this, this one man was the grandson of one of the men who founded the church and helped build the church, literally. He would go out into the creek and he would make bricks himself and then he'd put them in the back of his wooden cart and pull it down a mile and a half to the, the site where this building was and they built it. And that church was, that building was still standing, although we met in a different building while I was there. So I asked him, well, you know, do you go to church? No. And he said, my grandfather, he, he did all these great things. He helped build the church and everyone thought he was a saint in the community and in the church, but not at home. He said his grandfather abused his father and his siblings, even his, mom, his grandmother. So as soon as they could, those kids, when they got out of the house, they left the church. And now this third generation, and the fourth and fifth after that, they were there, none of them went to church. They didn't want anything to do with Christianity, the faith. Because this one man, he lived one way in public, but in private he was a different way. He didn't model what it meant to live out faith. His kids saw right through it. They could see that he was a hypocrite. So we need to know that, hey, the way we live at home is so important. And parents, me too, we need to stop worrying what other people think about us and, and it, it, ignore our kids or treat them poorly, especially in public. Sometimes we get embarrassed about things and we care more about what someone thinks that we are never going to see again in our life than what our kids think about us or what our spouse thinks about us. It should be the opposite. Who cares if people think you're weird in public? Who cares if you're a little embarrassed? We should care what our kids think. We should live the life of love and model for them faith, model for them love for our community and our neighbors and even our enemies. John Medina is a world-renowned bioengineer. He has studied the brain and how it impacts parents and kids and how they live lives. So he gave a lecture to the National Governors Association, so some of the 
top politicians in our country. And afterwards, a very well-known politician came up to John Medina and asked him, said, okay, I want my kids to do well in life. I want them to get into the best Ivy League schools. I want them to be recruited for these schools because they're so smart. What is the thing I should do for my kids? John Medina said, do you really want to know? I mean, do you really want to know? The man said, yeah. yeah. He said, okay. Go home and love your wife. What he found from his research that the marriage in a home impacted kids more than in almost anything else. Gary Ezzo and Robert Bachnam in their book say that a healthy marriage creates an infused stability within the family and a haven of security for a child in their developmental phase process. In the end, great marriages produce great parents. Great marriages produce great parents. The way you live your life and interact with your spouse, that relationship will impact your kids because they'll see that. How do you love? How do you fight? We talked about this in our series, right? We had a marriage sermon last week. You can go back and listen or watch that online. We also had a, a message just on conflict, how to deal with that. Those are important skills to learn some wisdom. But how you interact with your spouse is going to shape your kids when they grow up. That's why we focus on that. We want to be a model for them of love. And it begins with our spouses. So that's B. Be a model. Be a model. Now let's learn some more wisdom. Point two. A. Accept spiritual responsibility. Accept spiritual responsibility. What I mean by this is that it's your responsibility to make sure your kids are raised to know Jesus. To live out a life of love and service to others. It's not my job as the pastor. It's not even Bill Carson's job on Wednesday night at Turbulence. It's not Ariel Myers or any of our great children's uh, volunteers. It's not their job on Sunday mornings. It's your job. You need to accept the spiritual responsibility of raising your kids. Proverbs 17.21 declares, To have a fool for a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. If you want to have a good life, if you want to have joy, if you want to love your kids and be happy about how things have gone, you need to teach them about God and teach them wisdom. That's what it's saying. The godless fool brings grief. No joy. So you need to teach about God and faith and wisdom. These are the things that are not taught in public schools. I mean, they'll bring in a little bit of wisdom, but they're not teaching you about faith. And they're really not teaching you about wisdom because there's so many other... They've got to teach your kid to read. There's so many things that they're focused on and worried about. It's your responsibility to care about their spiritual well-being. Because parents, of all the years that your kids will be in school... Only about 15% of their time will be in school with their teachers. 15% of the time. I mean, as much as they can do, and as mad as we get at teachers and the school system and everything, they can't do very much. What you do as parents impacts your kids far more than anything your teachers can do. So we need to accept the spiritual responsibility that comes along with it. There was a study done, and they asked kids and teachers and administers, administrators what parents were concerned about most and across the board they said 80% of them said that parents cared more about grades than about whether their child cared about other people in the community grades and academics were way more important with whether the person the children were good people that they had godly character or wisdom and it's important to care about academics we want our kids to succeed we want them to go to good schools and have a good career 
But even higher than that should be their spiritual growth. Their spiritual growth. And we also care about their sports, don't we? Oh, we want them to learn, develop teamwork and be on a team. We want them to learn special um, physical activity and learn how to do that and take care of their body. We want them to be in extracurricular activities. But what about their spiritual well-being? Bodie Bauckham writes, If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, I have failed as a father. I have failed as a father. Sports are good. Extracurricular activities are good. Academics are great. But their spiritual growth is even more important than that. So we need to, as parents, teach wisdom and godly character. Teach them about the truths of the faith and how they're supposed to be a person of faith and to live out love, live out service to others. We, we need to pray for the salvation of our kids. Parents, as good a job as you're going to do, you're not going to save your children to make sure they don't go to hell. But we need to pray for that, that God would work in their lives. And we do, we do something here. We do child dedication. We have one coming up on September 24th. So if you have a small child or a baby and you're saying, hey, I want to do my part to raise this kid to know the Lord, that's a great opportunity to do that. Make sure you mark that on your bulletin, on the tear-off strip, and put it in one of the boxes on your way out. That's coming up on September 24th. It's our responsibility as parents. We've got to accept spiritual responsibility. You know, there's a lot of numbers going around in the world about kids, whether they retain their faith after they leave the home. And according to some studies, somewhere between 70 and 82% of kids raised in Christian homes leave the faith never to come back. Now, I think some of those numbers are a little skewed. I've seen some that are a little bit more optimistic than that. But no matter what the numbers are, it's a problem. It's a problem. And George Barna did a big study on this. Okay, what separates the parents of kids that turn out to continue to live out their faith and those that abandon God, uh, abandon faith? What's the difference? And the parents that he found that were doing it and had children that succeeded and did well, he called revolutionary parents. And, And the book is called Revolutionary Parenting. And in it, he has a few different things that those parents do. He said, one, they make development of godly character the most important focus. They say academics are good, sports are good, but we're going to make godly character even more important than that. Is this a good, are they a good person? Are they living out the fruits of the Spirit? Are they loving, kind? Are they filled with joy? The second thing, they bring God and spirituality into everyday conversation. When they're out hiking, they say, look at that beautiful vista that God made. When they're talking about, they hear about a kid at school that does something, they say, that's not what we do, and here's what the Bible says about it. We don't do that as a family or as Christians. They're bringing into everyday conversation the truths of the faith. The third thing is they prioritize worship or youth group. They prioritize those things. They're saying, hey, as a family, we may be busy, we may be traveling, but that's important. If our kids are involved in sports, we say, hey, they're not going to be involved in Sunday or together we're going to find a way to worship together whether it's by watching online or, or we're going to church Sunday night we're going to find a church that meets at another night because we're gone this week they're figuring out how to worship as a family they're, they're saying hey youth group is important to us you've got to be involved in kids and youth ministry the fourth thing those revolutionary parents accept the fact that they'll be different this is a hard one they accept the fact that they're probably going to be weird They're going to have some rules that nobody else does for their kids. And they say, I don't care if we're the only parents that won't let our kids go see a movie. I couldn't go see Jurassic Park when it came out. Oh, it ate me up inside as a kid. But I'm glad my parents did that. We we were different. I was weird because of it. But 
does revolutionary parents just say, hey, that's part of what it means to be a good parent? They're going to be a little different. They accept that. That's what it means to accept spiritual responsibility. Accept spiritual responsibility. So that's our second point. Be a model. Accept spiritual responsibility. And the third one, D, discipline in love. Discipline in love. This is a bad parent. Be a model, accept spiritual responsibility, and discipline in love. This is going to be our biggest section in our message today because there's a lot of verses about discipline in the Proverbs. And I picked four of the main ones. There's more. You can read them. But we'll look at what the Bible says about discipline. Proverbs 13.24, it says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, this is a controversial verse, and I want to address it right away. Rod here is symbolic of authority and discipline. There are some people who interpret it and say, no, we have to have physical discipline. It has to be spanking or some sort of like wooden spoon or something like that, an object. But what I say, the people who take that very literally in their interpretation, why don't they use a rod? None of them do. And if they do, man, that's kind of scary. They don't. Because rod throughout the Bible is symbolic of authority and discipline. So it's saying you need to discipline your children. And if you don't, you hate them. You hate your children. Uh, but you're saying, no, I love my kids. I just, don't, I just don't want to hurt their feelings. If you don't discipline them, you hate them. You hate them. We need to do that. So it's symbolic. So... People debate this. Christians say, okay, well, does it have to be spanking? Or or some people say, well, studies have proven that spanking isn't effective and it's not a good form of discipline. You guys can decide that for yourselves. You can debate that. I don't think the Bible says one way clearly, one way or the other. Maybe you can debate me on that. But I think the point is we need to find a way of discipline that works for our children. And if you don't, it's not going to be good for your kids. You hate them. So you need to find something that works. This means you may have to be very creative. For different kids different things work. Some kids, um, if if you were even to dare spank them, they would be sobbing messes. Like, all you have to say is one word and they know that they're in trouble. They break down and cry. Other kids, they need a little bit firmer discipline. You you need to be very clear and this is the boundaries. So you may need to talk to some some of your friends, read some books on this. If you don't know what to do, just say, there's going to be something bad coming. I'll get back to you on that. Okay? Take take time, okay? You've got to think, be creative to actually discipline them that will work. Here's another thing, parents. You're going to say no a lot. I have figured that out. Uh, I have a seven-month-old daughter. She's almost eight months. And um, already I'm having to take stuff away from her. So you can't hold that. You can't go there. You can't do this. You have to say no a lot as a parent. So whenever you can, say yes. Whenever you can, just say yes. Say yes. In the first service, one teenager was nudging me. Hey, yeah, listen, listen. But whenever you can, if it's not going to be harmful or if it's not bad morally, just say yes whenever you can. I do put this point as saying discipline in love because it says the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. But it's also about the attitude that we discipline them with. The attitude. So this means the experts say that you shouldn't discipline when you're angry. Some of you are like, well, that's the only time I do discipline. Why would I do it if I wasn't angry? But you need to calm yourself down and say, okay, right now my emotions are in control and that's not a way to have healthy discipline because they'll they'll just see how angry you are and it's not control. So you need to say, okay, calm down. If If you can't do it, just wait a little while, maybe get your spouse to do it. And then you need to calmly, reasonably, gently explain what they did wrong and why there's a punishment. 
why there's discipline for the action that was happening. So discipline in love. Yelling, a lot of studies have found, is very ineffective. Unless it's an absolute emergency, yelling doesn't really work. Because kids learn to just tune you out the more you yell. You've got to find a discipline that's actually effective for your kids. And it's going to change as they grow up. We'll talk about that a little bit more later in the message. The other thing that you need to do is, if you're doing it in love, after you discipline or during it, just say, I love you and this is why I'm doing it. And reaffirm them and say, I love you and that's why I do this. God loves us and he disciplines us. So we need to do the same for us. And explain that. Give them a hug. Reassure them that you love them. Do it in love. Another verse in the Proverbs on discipline is 22.15. It says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. And I don't need to say again, rod, of course, is symbolic for authority and discipline. So it's saying, in the heart of every child is, is folly. There's foolishness. There, there's something that they just don't know. Or, or there's sin in their heart. And that's what discipline can help correct children and show them the right way to live. It says, bound up in the heart. The Bible teaches across the whole Bible that we as humans, we are made in God's image. We're beautiful, created. Every single human being is unique and special in God's eyes. And yet we also have this sinful nature inside of us that drives us to sin. We like to think that children are this innocent, perfect thing, but once you have kids and for a little while you realize, yeah, they sin. Maybe you remember back when you were a kid, yeah, I did some wrong things that I shouldn't have. In Genesis 8.21, God says this about humanity. He says, The desire of man's heart is sinful from when he is young. And in Psalm 51.5, David, King David, declared, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So, yes, we're perfect in God's, made in God's image. There's something so special about us, but yet we are also sinful. We talked about this in our Galatians series. But it's the job of a parent to help correct a child, to discipline them, to, to drive them away, it says. Drive them away from the foolishness and sin in their heart. Um, do, this doctrine is called different things by different theologians, but Reinhold Niebuhr calls it original sin, and this is what he said about it. He said, the doctrine of original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith. You can prove this doctrine. In fact, studies have found that babies as young as three months experience jealousy. You have to teach them to share. There are studies that, that show that children as young as eight months old, eight months old are willfully disobedient. Willfully disobedient. This means they know what they're supposed to do and they don't want to do it. There's sin in every human heart. In ours as well as adults, we know that it's the same thing with kids and we need to learn how to discipline away from that. Here's another point I want to bring up just because of the cultural climate that we are in right now. Racism is part of our sinful nature. Studies, especially done by the University of Toronto, have found that human beings, babies as young as six months old, will prefer and have a bias towards their own race and against people of a different race. Babies. You think, oh, they're innocent. Oh, there's a lot of people saying, oh, racism is taught. It's not inherent. But that's not true. The Bible and research has shown that we in our human hearts are sinful. We like people that are like us and we don't like people who are different than us. Yes, racism is taught and it shouldn't be. But we need to realize that people are inherently racist. And as parents, we need to discipline and teach and instruct 
to get away from that, to say, no, we need to love people that are different than us. Care about them. We need to be around people who are culturally different than us. And teach that this is so important to love others. Jesus said even love your enemies. So we need to do that and we need to teach that because it doesn't just come naturally. You think, oh, racism isn't just natural. I mean, it is natural. It needs to be taught away from Uh, Jennifer Richardson is a uh, psychologist at Yale and she wrote, We often assume that it takes parents actively teaching their kids for them to be racist. The truth is that unless parents actively teach kids not to be racist, they will be. So it's our job as parents to discipline our kids, to teach them, to train them, to be more loving, to be more kind to people that are different than them. Here's another thing I want to say about discipline. Our job as parents is to shape the will of our children, not to crush it. Some people go way far overboard on the other side. Some people are never disciplining at all. Some people are disciplining way too harshly. Colossians 3.21 teaches parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. And in the Greek there, it's actually addressed to fathers, not parents in general, because fathers often fall into this the worst and be the harshest disciplinarians, including myself. You know, so we need to learn to not crush the will of our children. We shape it, we direct them, but we love them through it. My wife calls this uh, form of parenting the little dog syndrome. Those of you who have dogs, or, or you know people that have dogs, when they have a little tiny dog, they just say, oh, it's so cute. So cute. Oh, it yaps around, it bites people, but it's just, a, it won't hurt anybody. And they don't discipline their dogs. You've seen it? Some of you are those dog owners. But when you have a great big dog, you're like, we better discipline this thing or it will kill us in our sleep, right? We have to do something. We have to train this dog. So what happens for parents, they get the little dog syndrome. They think they see this cute little baby and, and toddler and, oh, it's just so cute. Oh, it's kind of funny. And, and this kid is it's cute, easy to manage, to control. You can physically hold them back. And then they get older and older. And then all of a sudden they're a teenager and you can't control them anymore. They're an unruly Doberman. So that's why we've got to start when they're younger and not fall into this little dog syndrome when it comes to our kids. So we need to define some boundaries. We need to enforce boundaries. So I want to say a couple different things about discipline here. And this comes from experts, not from me. Because I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm still learning. Here's some things that you should not discipline for. Don't discipline for these things. Eccentricities of your child. Your kid will be unique and weird in different ways. Don't discipline for them, for those things. You should embrace them and love those things. Yeah, this child is unique and special. Yeah, they're different from all their peers and different from us, but we love this uniqueness in the child. Don't discipline them for being kids. If it's just a child, it's just childish things, that's okay. Let them be kids. Don't discipline for exploring. I've already figured out that McKinley, she loves to taste everything, Right? wants to just see what she's exploring wants to taste so yeah I need to teach her and help her not to taste some bad things that she shouldn't Um, but say the kid's just exploring that's what kids do they want to know the world around them they're learning don't discipline them for that you can teach them but don't discipline them another thing don't discipline for accidents there are things done that aren't deliberate an accident a mistake or, or maybe they're forgetful about something don't discipline them for those things teach them train them so that they won't do the thing again but you don't need to punish them for accidents. 
Here's another thing. Don't discipline them for you being embarrassed. Parents can get embarrassed around other parents because of what their kids do. Don't discipline them for you being embarrassed. That's not okay. Don't discipline them for things that are unclear. If there's ever a thing that your child does and you're like, is that wrong? I don't know. Don't discipline them. If you don't know, they sure as heck don't. The last one, don't discipline for what they don't know. If they really don't know and if you haven't taught them yet, that's your mistake. You need to teach them that. They, they don't know. They're learning this world. Don't, don't discipline them for those things. So those are the things not to discipline them for. But then there are the other things that we do need to discipline for. And um, it depends on the age of a child. And I get this from some experts, so um, you can debate them. But as your child grows, your discipline is going to need to change. So for when, when the child is birthed to seven months, don't discipline them. There's no willful defiance in a baby. They just need love and protection and to be fed, okay? Just love them. But once they get to that seven or to eight months to 14 months range, that's when they're going to begin to test things. They really will be able to check out, can I do this thing? Can I get away with it? Um, and, and at that point, you need to be firm but very gentle. And most of the time, you can just distract them. Just distract them and then they'll forget about whatever they were thinking about. Age 15 months to 24 months, that's when you need to begin to set some boundaries and have reasonable punishments. They're still just a child. Make them very small, reasonable punishments. Explain things to them very clearly. Try to reason with them. Ages 2 to 3, have a sense of humor. That's what the experts say. Have a sense of humor. Ages 4 to 8, this is a time where you can teach them scripture. Explain the reasons why certain things are wrong and, and they should do other things. Explain from the scriptures what's right and what's wrong. Ages 9 to 12. This is when you begin to loosen your grip on authority. And especially into the teenage years, what they say is that the older a child gets, there should be less rules. There should be less rules. Yes, you still keep the ones that are important, but as they're getting older, you don't need to control every little thing. You have to help them begin to find independence and autonomy because they're when they turn 18 they're gone and you have no control so you've got to learn to develop that and teach them as you're going about what's right and what's wrong and then when they leave the house because some of you are in that stage or or nearing it when they leave the house that's when the role really shifts and and it's good to think of yourself less of the, the teacher or the disciplinarian now you think of yourself as a mentor and then they begin to have their own kids and now you're the friend you're not teaching them all the time what to do That and that's a difficult shift for a lot of parents to go through the years and every every age shifts so I, I think a lot of parents get stuck in a previous stage you know when they have the teenagers they still want to be the strict authoritarian about every little thing and it's hard to let go of those little things and then the kid moves out of the house it's hard to switch to the mentor role and and know that it's 3 a.m and they're going to do whatever they want in college you can't you know, it's like if you haven't taught them up to this point, it's kind of tough. And then they have their own kids and it's tough not to tell them what to do all the time. The, these different stages can be tough and you get stuck in one or the other. So we have to continue to grow. And I don't know uh, personally anything about it. So, just sharing you what the experts say about parenting. Proverbs 23. It says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. I bring that up because a lot of parents want to say, I want to be friends with my kid. And you will, you're going to be friends. You're going to have a good, caring, loving relationship. But if friendship is the primary relationship you have with your kids, it won't go well. They need discipline. 
You're sending them off to death. You hate them if you don't discipline your kids. Teach them what is right and what is wrong. So train them well. I want to stop for a second and talk about phones. This is something that isn't talked about enough because it's rapidly changed. Um, even from when I was a kid, we didn't have smartphones. I had a cell phone, you know, it was, it was a brick in high school. And some of you are like, I didn't even have that when I was in high school. Um, but phones are changing drastically. Some studies show that 50% of kids now, kids, are addicted to smartphones. 50%. If you take it away, they have withdrawal. 84% of teenagers sleep with, next to, or on top of their cell phones. They have to have it with them all the time. Teenagers send between 50 and 100 text messages per day. Some teenagers up to 300 text messages a day. They're on their phones a lot. And here's the thing. 70% of teenagers admit to hiding online behavior from their parents. They're doing things that they're not supposed to be doing on those phones. As much as you want to know that, oh, they're doing great, they're a great kid. There's so much things that you have access to on a phone. With one push of a finger, children have access, sometimes accidentally, to some of the worst pornography in the world. They have access to communication with people in ISIS, to child predators. Some of the worst things that you can imagine are just one accidental click away on the internet. And yet, a lot of parents today are just don't even know what's going on, and they give their kids the phone throughout the whole night. And a lot of good Christian parents who, who don't even let their kids watch a rated R movie, and, and they give them a smartphone to do whatever they want with. So we need to be clear about this and set some boundaries for kids. They say on average now that online pornography is viewed by a ch- child at the age of eight. They say that kids are addicted to pornography starting at age 11. They said that kids have their first um, encounter with sexting in in fifth grade. Sexting each other or or being sent messages. So parents, you've got to be aware of what's going on. I I know most parents want to protect their kids and they want their kids to learn what's right, but maybe a lot of us don't even know what's going on. So we can make some rules. You can make some rules. There are phones that are dumb that maybe you need to give your kid a dumb phone. A phone that can only call a few numbers in emergencies if they have to have a phone. There are those phones. There are only three numbers you program in there and that's it. can't do anything else. Or, or you can get different devices. Say, hey, you want them to play some games on there every once in a while or, or watch instructional videos, kids' videos, or, or read. I mean, that's good stuff, right? It's good. There's great stuff with smartphones. Let's be honest. Technology is amazing. Um, you can get devices that only allow kids to do those things or, or limit how many hours they can spend on those specific apps and don't let them do anything else. So you need to be thinking, okay, as what's the age of my kid? Should they have access to this thing? Because it's happening. It's happening all around them and it's happening to them a lot of times by accident. They stumble upon things that they didn't even want to. So we need to do that and, and, and maybe you need to have a check-in policy with, with your phone so that there's a certain time the phones sit in a basket when the kids are at home, you know. You can have these different rules for them to help protect your kids. In that book, Revolutionary Parenting, which I referenced before, they found that one of the worst things, one of the worst things that you can do for your kids is give them access to bad media. And this was, this was even before there was smartphones. And they found that. So it's even more so now that kids have access to so many things. So here's our big idea today. I want you to be bad parents, right? 
be a model, accept spiritual responsibility, discipline and love. But here's the big idea. Parent now with eternity in mind. Some of you are like, Matt, I've made a lot of mistakes. You're pointing out something I didn't even know I was making. But now is the time to say, hey, I'm going to do it a little differently. Now I'm going to do it a little differently. Whether your kids are very young or they're out of the house having their own kids, say from now on I'm going to be parenting with eternity in mind. With eternity in mind. Who in here has ever planted a tree? Anybody? While we lived in Nebraska, we planted a couple trees in our yard. And in Nebraska, there's some bad wind. Really bad wind. Like 40 to 50 mile an hour like every day in the winter. It's bad wind. I know somebody from Nebraska smiling back there. Bad wind, okay? So when you plant a tree, these little saplings that you're putting in the ground, you have to do something to protect them, right? So we put these big metal stakes right next to them, and then we made sure the tree was tied to them. So, so if the wind did come down one, one direction or the other, then, then the tree would be able to stand firm. And as that tree grows, then you're able to take away some of those things that are holding the tree up, right? And it's able, because it's stronger, it has it's deeper roots, it has a thicker trunk, that it's able to withstand the wind of the world. It's the same thing that as a parent you need to say, hey, at the beginning, right now when I can, I'm going to start them off to protect them from the things of the world. And as they grow, you're going to loosen those restraints, that authority on them. Proverbs 22.6 is one of the main verses for this message today. It says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That's why I had the big idea. Start now. Start now. Wherever you are, start right now. And, and think of the end. Where do you want them to be at the end? Where do you want them to be? If you want them to be that big, tall, strong oak tree with branches that are, that are wide, that has great shade, you say, hey, I want my child to be like that. Let's reverse engineer it. Okay, what do I need to do at the beginning now? And I hope this message can help you with that. What are the things I need to do right now so that I can have an amazing child? when they move out of the home and then they have their own kids generations can be affected by what you do right now what you do right now I do want to point out about this verse is that it's a proverb not a promise it's a proverb not a promise a proverb in fact is, is more like a pattern just think of that a proverb is a pattern not a promise because this verse isn't saying if you do what's right as a parent your child 100% of the time will turn out great and never have any issues. It doesn't say that. So I point that out because if you're saying, hey Matt, I've made a lot of mistakes, my, or my child right now isn't walking with God, they're not living like they should be. That doesn't mean you made mistakes. You did. We all do as parents. But that doesn't mean your mistakes directly led to that. This is a pattern that happens most of the time. On the other hand, if you do have parent, parents, you have kids that are doing great as adults, and you, don't be prideful about it. Because it isn't necessarily you did everything right. There's a ton of external factors that do this as well. So it's a pattern that happens that we should aim for, but it's not a promise. So parent now with eternity in mind. With eternity in mind. You're not just thinking, okay, is this child going to be a good teenager, going to be a good adult? But you're also thinking, where are they going to be in eternity? Spiritual things. We want to look at, at their eternity and, and their generations in mind. I had a a young man come to my office this week and he said, Hey Matt, I really want to bring God into my family. I love that. I love that this man's intent. You know, he's probably doing some things wrong. I'm doing some things wrong. But he said, I want to get God in there. I want to do this right spiritually. And that's what we should all be doing. We should have that attitude of that man. We should care not just about the intellectual, athletic uh, achievements of our kids. We shouldn't even just care that they have a good job when they grow up. We should say, 
are they going to be someone who impacts others for Christ? Are they going to be someone who's with Jesus and with us for eternity? Let's start now and do it right. 3 John 4, John wrote, Nothing makes me happier than to hear that my children are living according to the truth. Make that the most joyful thing in your heart. Are my kids walking with God? I mentioned earlier that those studies have shown 70 to 80% of kids leaving the faith after growing up in a Christian home. Well, they've asked those kids, what's going on? And uh, they've asked those kids, and only 11% of them said they had a strong faith when they were kids living at home. So this means that kids and teenagers aren't leaving the faith when they leave the home. They never had the faith to begin with. This means that they didn't have parents that modeled for them, that didn't have parents that accepted spiritual responsibility and said, I'm not just going to let the the youth group handle things. I'm not going to let the teachers take care of everything. I'm going to take care of it myself. And they said, I'm going to discipline with love even when it's hard. Even when it's hard and I don't want to do that. Christian Smith, at the end of that study, says that parents are huge, absolutely huge, nearly a necessary condition Without question, the most important pastor a child will ever have in their life is a parent. So let's step up. Let's parent now with eternity in mind. Wherever you are, if you've made tons of mistakes, your kids are young, their kids are old, let's do it now like we're supposed to. Let's do it right. This um, most recent Father's Day, my cousin Cooper wrote up a message to his father on Facebook and I asked him if I could share this and he was happy to let me do that and he's uh, someone who's had some issues in his life but this is what he wrote to his dad he said dad I don't know how to tell you all the ways you have impacted my life but I know in a world of deadbeat fathers you have always been an example of what God is to me I remember was when I was in the hospital from opiate withdrawals and in a state where I hated life and saw no relief in sight you were sitting next to me and you told me I want you to know that I have never and I am not ever ashamed of you I love you so much and I know you will overcome this with God's help he said I am a blessed beyond belief that you are my dad In every situation, I find myself thinking of your advice and what you would say. Some people actually find it annoying and say, your dad doesn't know everything. Haha, but I trust you know far more than me. And I trust you above all other men in my life. Thank you for showing me what God is, a loving father. Happy Father's Day. Parents, we're going to do a lot of things wrong. But let's remember the love that our Father in Heaven has for us. He loved us and cared about us so much that when we're sinning and doing terrible things, He sent His Son, Jesus, to give His life and die on the cross for us. To welcome us back with those loving arms. So all of us who are here in parents, now is the time. Now is the time to love our kids, to teach them, to train them, to be the example for them with eternity in mind. Let's do it right. The band's going to come up and lead us in, in one final song. And what I want to do is something similar to last week. If you're a parent here, I want you to stand up. If you are a father or a mother, I want you to stand up. And we're going to take a time. If your spouse is next to you, grab their hand. If they're not, that's okay too. But if your spouse is here, grab their hand. And I want to say a special prayer for parents this morning. 
And if you're sitting down, you can pray for those around you, for the difficult task that God has given them. Let's pray. God, I pray for these parents right now, these fathers and these mothers. And they're all trying to figure out how to do things right. They, they want to be good parents. And I pray that you'd help them to do that, that you'd empower them, that you'd show them wisdom from your word, that they might be good parents. And Lord, for those that are feeling like they, they have failed, that they aren't good enough, that they have made so many mistakes, Lord, I pray that you'd give them your grace right now and your forgiveness because you are the loving Father who welcomes them. And you can empower them and say, hey, from this moment on, now's your chance to start afresh as parents. Lord God, for those right now, especially who are single parents, I pray that you would give them a special strength, that you bring people around them to help them in this task. And I pray that all of us who are parents would be better and we'd be godly parents like you are a godly father to us. For all of us, Lord, we thank you for that grace and mercy that comes only from you, our loving Father in heaven. Amen.